0: The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me for this episode after Will. We've been teasing it for weeks and weeks and weeks, but Will Miles is joining me here to, to, to discuss this. Uh, you know, Felipe Frank's uh research and trends and all that good stuff that we've done the last couple of weeks but will miles is going to join me on this episode to, to dive into felipe franks you can find all of will's work at readandreaction.com and and on twitter at will miles scc well like i said we've been teasing for weeks uh, some new, some news you know, some news that we didn't necessarily want to talk about uh came around and it's good because uh, i'm in full vacation mode right now and i'm glad that uh You know, we've done a lot of prep work for this episode, so it was kind of kind of easy coasting this week a little bit.
1: a little bit but you know it, there's always little finishing touches you want to put on the stuff and yeah. make sure you look up one more stat yeah. my wife calls it going down the rabbit hole and i end up you know up way <laughs> later than i should be looking up stuff that really probably only matters to me and three other people but uh <laughs> but no it's fun and i mean certainly franks i think it, everybody realizes is going to be sort of the the bellwether for the for the season and if franks plays well and then the, then the The offense is going to play well and the team will play well. But conversely, if the offensive line struggles and if Frank struggles, then the team's going to struggle. So, you know, you sort of the question, I think, on everybody's mind is, is, you know, are the last four games from last year real? Or was that just he had four good games and, you know, we should expect some regression back to the player he was before that. And that's sort of, I think, what you and I are going to try to answer tonight.
0: All right, and we'll get to some more recent events as well. Big recruiting weekend for the Gators uh, this past weekend as well. But before we get there, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News For Jack sports team. Catch the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Spotify. And please, when using those services, share, rate, and review the show. And, of course, you can find us on social media, Follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So let's take a quick look at this past weekend, Will. And, and uh, the great Gator grill-out took place for the second year under Dan Mullen. And former offensive lineman Shannon Snell had the had the relationship ribs falling off the bone. And uh, Florida picks up two commitments. Uh, the first was Saturday and legacy Jonathan Odom played to the Gators. Three-star tight end from Tampa. 6'5", 250 pounds. 32nd-ranked tight end in the country. Uh, 845th ranked player in the country. He kind of, you know, he fits that uh, blocking tight end mold, and you know, athletic enough to get used creatively in blocking schemes. Uh, and looks by Dan Mullen there, so you know, Mullen likes to get creative with that tight end, H back kind of role. So, kind of, I'm looking forward to see what what where he what he can do there. And then on Sunday, the Gators go all the way to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and get a commitment from four star cornerback Joel Williams. Uh, Williams picked Florida over LSU and Tennessee. A versatile piece in the secondary at 6'1", 194. Uh, may just play where Florida needs him the most in the secondary when he steps on campus. These two commitments will jump Florida from eighth in the 24-7 sports composite all the way back up in the top five on Sunday. That was short-lived for a four day where now they're sixth after uh, Georgia gets another... A big time commitment from the state of Florida, but this all comes shortly after you know the Chris Dill saga and a and a crazy couple of weeks off the field for the Gators, where you know there was a thought out there that it might be tough for Mullen and staff to uh, that you know that that they were going to have some difficulty getting prospects in the fold.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean I think the steel situation and how that impacts things is probably still yet to play itself out and and we won't really know a lot of those things but yeah, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the relationships that you have with coaches that's why you commit someplace and so, if you had a strong relationship with Mullen, I think you tend to believe that Mullen's side of the story, or at least that that Mullen had good reasons for acting the way that he did. And if you're good friends with Chris Steele, you probably are you probably are more apt to believe what he says. And so, you know, I think we said last week that the truth is somewhere in the middle. And so, if you've got a strong relationship with Mullen and the Gator staff, then I don't think there's any reason why you wouldn't commit. And you know, there's been a lot made about some of the 2021 guys who decommitted. We talked about that a little bit last week, but you know, that didn't. Based on everything you were hearing, at least it didn't really seem like those were tied together, and so you know there's still time I'm sure for for opposing coaches to negatively negatively recruit. but there hasn't really been a whole lot of time for them to do that, and obviously, these are two guys that Mullen and the staff had strong relationships with and were able to close,
0: yeah, big fan of uh, of toy and gray is is William, so that's uh. That really helps there, and kind of getting that uh, DBU moniker living up there. Oh, you know, it's a good time to have a uh, the, the barbecue with big names on campus, and kind of you know, I think kind of clear the air if that situation was brought up, and you know, talk to recruits. You know, I think Florida, you know, made up ground, or and or further relationships with with Chance Williams, Romello Height, two players at the outside linebacker spot. Not sure Florida would take both, and it might be a scenario as to which one commits first. Um, you know, I like what I heard from offensive tackle Joshua Braun. And Florida putting themselves in good, real, good shape with the relationship with offensive line coach John Hevesy. There um, now have to kind of fend off Georgia and South Carolina as they get the next visits. Also, Florida made made a move for four star defensive end Braden McGregor. Still, still think it's going to be tough to beat out Michigan and Notre Dame there. But you know this you know, it was kind of important, especially for Williams there to make up you know in the secondary for losing uh, a steal. You know three commitments in the secondary there now with the addition of Williams. Probably need to look at signing around five or six there, and, and get you know, and get players that are versatile enough or really fit at at the safety position. So, uh, you know, Allerton, Texas, four-star defensive back Jahari, uh, Jahari Rogers visited this past weekend as well. Mentioned how much he liked the staff and and the vibe with the players, and and says you don't get that everywhere. Like Florida, growing up, likes the idea of playing in the SEC. Texas is going to be a tough beat there. Well, at the end of the day. After talking around some of the folks that were close uh, to the situation and there uh, at the barbecue this past weekend, you know, Florida either laid the foundation and you know kind of further you know, extended good feelings from the prospects that were on campus.
1: Yeah, I mean, you would really hope that that's what they did. I mean, certainly, for some of the prospects, that's what they did last year. I mean, I think the Lakeland three who wound up committing all came to the to the Gator Grill out last year, and but there were guys that they missed as well, and I think we're going to see that too. So, um, you know, it's a it's a pretty star studded list, but that doesn't they're not going to get all of them. They're, they're but hopefully it's laid a foundation, like you said, to be able to bring in a significant amount of them. And you know, I, I even think I mean, some people may poo poo Odom coming in just because of his ranking, but you know, you look at some of the tight ends that they brought in. Over the last couple of years, with Zipper and with uh, and with Kyle Pitts, and those are guys who are more inclined to be catching the ball. And like you said, Odom is more of the blocking tight end, and you're going to need those sorts of guys. And so, um, you know, the, he he obviously um, should be able to be a contributor just just from a blocking perspective if you can excel on that side. So, um, I, I think this is this this event is. I mean, from everything we hear, is really really cool. The recruits really like it. It's a good time to sort of be be laid back and get to meet the staff and and that seems to be the way Mullen and the staff wants to recruit and so um hopefully it's a success and we'll see that coming forward in the summer
0: yeah i don't want to bring up another negative there but i mentioned Jalen carter defensive tackle four star from from the state of florida apopka committed to georgia uh, uh today and had a final of uh florida i mean had a, had a final of, of georgia alabama clemson you know, teams that compete for college football playoff spots there and also three schools that are continuing will to to come in and and raid the state of Florida. Uh, Again, look, I know it was expected Uh, to me. That doesn't make it any better. I, I know he was, Wanting to go out of state there, but it still kind of continues the trend. And we've discussed this the last couple of weeks, especially when we went back, went back and talked about uh, Demarcus Bowman and, and him leaving the state. But it's still, you know, a, a prospect Florida wanted, and now they're going out of state this time to a rival. But still, one of those three schools. You know, you throw Ohio State in that mix as well. That's that's just coming in and getting some of the state's top talent again.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is what it is at this point, right? I mean, at this point, um, you know, those schools are going to come in and they're going to target guys who are high level and they're going to go after them with everything they got and as of right now what they have to sell seems to be beating what florida has at least when when one of those programs when alabama clemson or georgia has targeted somebody they they are doing a good job of selling their program and, and so florida's going to have to catch up now in this case you know you've got gervon dexter and you've got johnny brown mm-hmm. who are both defensive tackles you know dexter's rated 72nd nationally brown's rated 156th so carter i think was like 97th or something like that and so you know there's Granted, he wants to go out of state and all those sorts of things, but at the same time, you've got two in-state defensive tackles who are who are coming into the program, two guys in the top 150. So, um, it, you know. Before this year, I would have said losing a top 100 defensive tackle is a real problem just because of the depth there. Certainly, the more players on the defensive line that Florida can get, the better. But in this case, they do have some guys. It's not as if they've got nobody at defensive tackle mm-hmm. in the class right now, and this was somebody that they just needed to have desperately for depth. Um, I, I think this is the, he, Carter would have been a welcome addition to the class, but it's not something where they don't have anybody at defensive tackle.
0: Yeah, looking good for Tim Smith, too, who was thought to be a, a, a Clemson lean at one point, but uh, he's a highly rated player and Clemson doesn't even have room for him. So <laughs> it, may, it may just work out where he uh, kind of just, if you want to say, uh, quote, falls to Florida.
1: <laughs> well, you know, we'll we'll take it. Any any anytime it's a highly rated guy that Clemson wants to, um, it, it's it's worth considering and, and like I said, the, d- the defensive line over the last couple of years has been a place that's been a little bit sparse in recruiting, and so um Flores gonna have to beef that up. They spent an awful lot of time on the offensive line and awful lot of time with the defensive backs, and so um I think I think and a linebacker and so the defensive line's a place where they're gonna have to focus and defensive tackle specifically, and it looks like they're doing that.
0: Yep. Well, right, before we move on to uh, Felipe Franks, so I give a shout out here to uh, got something to show off. Uh, thanks to Gator Kicks. So if you're watching the YouTube version now, you'll see these. There we go. So uh, it's for you know, the Jordan Retro 4 is there that uh, Gator Kicks is uh, releasing. So if you're watching the YouTube version, you'll see them. If not, go check out the YouTube version for a look. Uh, but. Yeah, remember these were uh, the team issued. Oh, hit the mic there. Uh, kind of player exclusive Jordan Four retros. Well, here they are. You can get your pair at GatorKicks.com. That's GatorKicks.com. You know, Nike Jordan brand never released uh, these to the public, so these sample remakes are uh, for the fans that uh, want the shoes as well. Uh, so, you know, orange blue got the Gator color, Gator logo on it, Jordan logo on the back with kind of the spackle. Uh, Kind of accents there. Jordan logos on the uh, bottom sole, too. There. So, pretty good quality there. Uh, You get shoelaces in blue, orange, and green. So, uh, looking good. So, if you want, uh, so if you like these, like what you see, visit GatorKicks.com for these and more exclusive Gator products coming soon. Stay tuned at GatorKicks.com. Will, I know you had a request. I got to get some bigger sizes.
1: Yeah. I got giant feet, man. It's a size 15. Apparently they don't have those. So, um, you know, somebody from Gator kicks gonna have to reach out to me and see what they can do. But, uh, now they look like they look, like, they look like they're cool. And, uh, I don't know. Hopefully people are still watching and they haven't gone off to buy those yet, but,
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The GatorKicks.coms is where, uh, where you can find them and Like I said, more exclusive Gator products coming soon, uh, on the way is there. So thanks for those guys, uh, from send, send them in our way. Uh, there, so all right. We've been teasing it for a couple of weeks now. We can finally get to it. Our uh, Felipe Frank's look uh, and news has finally slowed down enough to where we can finally discuss it. And it, it really helped last week. Will the ESPN decided to put out a small 2019 season preview? Uh, they brought it up to uh, they brought up the top games of 2019. And Florida and Miami came in as the sixth best game, but it was their reasoning that really caught my attention. And what a ridiculous reasoning it is. Quote. The interstate battle will kick off the 150th season of college football with both teams facing serious questions at quarterback. I couldn't believe my eyes when I read that, Will. Uh, Of course, we go back to the spring. and We've kind of had this discussion there, but to me it's not, especially in relation to Miami and kind of comparing it to Miami's situation, not at all. Uh, ESPN to me, you know, they they do a great job at broadcasting games They do a great job with the SEC network. I have a ton of respect, uh, for some of their talent. Now there was no name to this article, but it is laughable that they lump in Florida and Felipe Franks into a serious question at the quarterback position. I, know, I have very little issue of, uh, of opinions I don't agree with, but I'd really like to see, uh, the author, whoever that is reasoning for this.
1: Yeah, I mean I guess it depends on what question you're trying to ask, right? I mean, in Miami, it's who the hell's gonna be the quarterback? <laughs> like there's like nobody has any idea who the quarterback's going to be and whether Martell I mean, from all reports that I've heard, he hasn't looked all that impressive in camp and the guys last year weren't all that impressive. That you know, it's there's just a pretty significant question there down in down in Coral Gables who's gonna be the starter. Whereas in Florida, there's not really a question about who's gonna be the starter. The question is how good can Franks be? Right. So yeah, there are questions around the quarterback, just like there are questions around every quarterback not named From and Tagovailoa and you know and Jalen Hurts. I mean, beyond that, and Trevor Lawrence, beyond that, there are questions around just about every program in their quarterback and how good he can be. Because for the most part, the quality of the quarterback is going to dictate how far your how far your your team can go, and so yeah, I mean there are some questions around the quarterback, there are some questions around Franks, but there's no questions around who's starting. I mean it's it's pretty clear that Franks is starting, and the only way that gets changed is if for some reason things go very very wrong or an injury, God forbid, and and I, I don't expect either one of those to happen. So. Um, I think I think Florida's in pretty decent hands with Felipe Franks. The question is, are they just decent hands, or are they good hands, or are they elite hands? And I think that's sort of what the what the twenty nineteen season's going to be about.
0: Yeah, because that's what, that's right. I, I wouldn't label that as a serious question. Maybe uh, it's it's a question. but I wouldn't label it a, a serious question. And kind of comparing it to Miami's situation there, because that's exactly uh, what it looked like. And uh, preseason magazines are coming out. We'll kind of do our. Uh, you know, preseason magazine uh, Florida review uh, and in one of the next couple episodes here but of course you know, Athlon uh, had their rankings come out they had Franks as the fourth best quarterback in the SEC and that's you know, kind of what we'll do here after we lay out what we saw from Franks last year and maybe kind of where he fits uh, into the SEC and Will you released an article today to time up with this Felipe Franks discussion and really concentrated on the passing game for the quarterback uh, this is the time of year summer months coming along all these kinds of rankings are coming out you know now you know, list and rankings talk can get stale but you know that that really intrigues me where you would peg franks at right? and one that will make you think uh you know where just where does felipe franks rank among uh the sec's quarterbacks is a conversation we're willing to have because there are legit reasons you could list franks near the top of the list but also just a few pegs down uh the, the top two are obvious when it comes to the sec's best quarterbacks uh they are the ones with the, the, that are winning the most and alabama's Tua Tagovailoa and Georgia's Jake Fromm—no questions for me about those two. But then after that, you can go many different ways in selecting uh, the the next guy, the next tier of quarterbacks. Following those top two, you can pick from Felipe Franks, Joe Burrow, Kelly Kelly Bryant. But why? But but why can't you put Felipe Franks above those other players? And much of it is due to how Franks ended the, the last season, that last stretch of four games there, uh, as you brought up. And those last four games set up talk uh, of Franks taking, you know, the, the next steps and becoming one of the SEC's best. And we know his passing improved in those last four games for the season. Thirteen games, he had fifty-eight point four per- completion percentage. 2,457 yards. That was 189 yards per game, 24 touchdowns, six interceptions. Last four games, now we know Idaho is kind of a throwaway game, but uh, I know, Will, in your article, you threw out Idaho. I included him for, for the sake of this discussion uh, there. But South Carolina, 15 to 21, 161 yards, 71.4% uh, percentage uh, completion, one touchdown. Idaho, 19 of 27, 274 yards, 70.4 completion percentage, three touchdowns. Florida State, 16 of 26, 254 yards, 61.5 uh, completion percentage, three touchdowns in that game as well. Michigan, he was 13 at Felipe Franks, was 13 of 23, 173 yards, 56.5 uh, completion percentage, and one touchdown. So there in those last four games, averaged 216 yards a game, 65. Uh, percent completion percentage eight touchdowns and no interception so the yeah, completion percentage went from 58.4 on the season to 65 percent in the last four games and that eight touchdowns zero interception mark uh you know those stats uh, in a great spring that's what has the fan base excited for the growth of franks there's a lot of coach speak out there but there were some statements that i took away from quarterback coach brian johnson in relation to franks You know in quote He's just starting to understand every aspect of the game, using everything he has in his tool bag to elevate his play, to elevate the plays of the others around him, and puts us in position to win games. He's grown in every aspect, both on and off the field, and it's shown in his preparation and how he attacks. Just his comfort level in the system is getting to the point of understanding why we're doing what we're doing. He's starting to put himself in the position to elevate others as well. The fact that he understands and knows where to go with the football helps him get the ball out quicker, which in turn is allowing him to put guys in positions to make plays and be more accurate with the ball. His accuracy has really improved. A lot has to do with him understanding where people need to be, having that clock in his head, and understanding the timing of the play and how it all fits together. Then realizing that this game is just a series of 22 people fitting together and how it fits. So, Will, you really detailed it in your, in your article. Accuracy is where most people want to see the improvement in Franks. In those last four games, it was at 65%. That's why there's a ton of excitement and where most look and seeing why Florida was able to put points on the board late in the season. And, Will, I must say, you like I said, you really detailed that in a great way in your latest article at readingreaction.com. Yeah, well, thanks, Dave.
1: It, wasn't, it, it took a little bit of time to do, but what I did was I went back and I looked at – all of his throws for the entire year and charted how far from the line of scrimmage they were. So were they behind the line of scrimmage, 1 to 9 yards, 10 to 19 yards, and 20-plus yards? And the thing I think that should be encouraging to Gator fans is that in those last four games, and if you pull Idaho out, it basically looks the same, but in those last four games, it's where his completion percentage improved. So his completion percentage on throws less than one yard through the entire year was 86%. And in the last four games, it was 87%. For one to nine yards, it was 61%. And in the last four games, it was 64%. So really, not much difference in terms of his completion percentage from zero to 10 yards. The place where it really improved was from 10 to 19. For the year, he was at 39%. And the last four, he was 56%. And then for 20-plus yards, he was 41% overall over the entire year. And he was 50% in the last four games. So the place that he was more accurate was going down the field in those last four games. And like I said, those is actually go up if you take Idaho out. He was a little bit worse going deep against Idaho than he was before. And it's particularly glaring when you look at those percentages in the losses. So in the losses, he was less accurate across the board. You know, he went from 85% down to 74% less than one yard, but he was 24% from 10 to 19 yards and 15% 20 plus yards. And what that meant was on 20 plus yard throws and losses, he averaged 4.8 yards per attempt, but in the last four games, he averaged 17.1 yards per attempt on those 20 plus yard passes. So, if you want to know why Franks got better, why Florida was able to move the ball, the reason they were they were able to move the ball is cuz he was completing passes down the field at a clip much much higher than he was early in the year. And I think that's encouraging for a lot of different reasons, but the main one is is that obviously um you know just taking those shots down the field but not overthrowing them, not missing them. And it did look like Dan Mullen had designed some plays to to accentuate Frank's strengths rather than forcing him into some things that maybe he doesn't do real well. So, um, yeah, you look at it and there's a distinct difference in both the play calling and his ability to throw down the field, you know, for, for some of those deeper passes in the last four games. And so I think it's an encouraging sign that really sort of, and, and I think people point to the South Carolina game maybe as the place where he made the switch, and a little bit in the second half, that's true. But they ran out some new some new concepts, really sort of going over the middle against Idaho, that that you and I had pointed out at the time when that, when it actually happened, and then they kept building on those concepts for the Florida State game and the Michigan game, giving him throws down the middle where it looks like he's a lot more accurate than when he's trying to throw outside of the hashes, particularly to the left-hand side of the field. And so um, I'm very interested to see, A, whether his accuracy on some of those throws outside the hashes improves, but also whether they start the year going down down the middle, down the seam on throws that he's already been very, very good at and has shown that he can succeed um, You know, late last year.
0: Yeah, and I do – going back and reading those comments from from – Quarterback coach Brian Johnson, there. I think some of it is, you know, how much more comfortable was he with the offense later in the season? You would think a, a lot more comfortable. You had that bye week before the Georgia game and didn't, really, didn't necessarily really show up in, in, in that game and, and the Missouri game. But, you know, as we've mentioned, the last four games, it was a lot different, especially that Michigan game. You saw some new wrinkles there. The, the Michael P. Ryan tunnel screen that, uh, you know, play you highlighted in, in your article and a play we've kind of looked back at many times of creativity of Dan Mullen and also a play that, you know, you just haven't scene uh on tape that really helps a quarterback like frank so i I do think you were able to to install more of the offense, especially in tor- towards the end of the year, and especially plays like that when you have bowl prep, and now you'll have an offseason coming up where you could – you know Franks knows the offense. And now it's not about the basics of the offense. You can start working on footwork. You can start working on the nuances of an offense, nuances of a playbook. And I think tying all this stuff together, you know, with the offensive line holds up there, I think that's why fans are encouraged with Felipe Franks. And I'll get to you know, the, the the run part of his, uh, the, uh, of his game as well, coming up. But I really just think, you know, going back and looking at the comments and saying how much he knows the offense, he knows where players need to be. In, um, and th- I think that really speaks to why we can see maybe maybe a kind of a similar jump in, in year two for Franks under Dan Mullen.
1: Very much so. Well, I mean, you could see on tape when you went and looked at Georgia and when you lo- went and looked at the game against Missouri, that those teams were starting to creep their corners up. And, and really sort of take away some of those bubble screens that worked early in the year against Mississippi State and to a lesser extent against Tennessee. Um, you know, they did go downfield quite a bit against LSU, but they weren't necessarily all that successful. I mean, they hit a few of them, but there wasn't really a whole lot of the passing game to, to speak of in that game at all. But um, I guess once those corners crept up, Florida didn't really have an answer in the game against Georgia and didn't have an answer in the game against Missouri the the screen you just talked about for Pirine is actually Mullen's play design going around that sort of stuff, right? So by putting Pirine out wide, you've got a safety or a linebacker on him. He's not going to press up against him. You throw the screen behind the line of scrimmage, and it's essentially the same thing as throwing a bubble screen to a wide receiver, but just because of the way you design the play, it opens it up for for him. And I, and I expect really to see that. I mentioned it in the article. I expect to see that with some tight ends this year where you bring in Kyle Pitts, and if Kyle Pitts can be a blocking threat and can really be active in the run game, and then you can split him out wide for a bubble screen against a linebacker or a safety, he's going to be the guy. And we actually saw that the spring game, right? I mean, there was a play where they threw a screen to Pitts, and he bobbled it a little bit. Was still able to turn it into a ten or eleven yard gain. And, um, you know, Mullen's going to be able to scheme around that sort of stuff and put Franks in a situation to succeed, assuming that Franks is digesting all the information that he needs to digest. And I think that's that's part of what we saw in those last four games. I know you mentioned we're going to get to the running portion of the of the of the stats next. And some of that is just Franks being a willing runner, being able to pull the ball out of his running back out of the running back's belly rather than handing it off to him. There's a specific play I'm remembering against Florida State where where Burns, the defensive end for Florida State, really crashed hard on Pirine and Franks pulled it and ran for like 14 yards a- around end. And, and his ability to do that and keep the defense honest really started to open things up.
0: Yeah, and that's where I really wanted to concentrate, and I do think it opened up the passing game a little bit more with that aggressive run style, and Brian Johnson uh, in the spring had some more quotes about that, too, and he says he understands that running can make him better overall. Uh, He made that very evident toward the end of the year, the understanding that he's using everything he has to get the most out of his potential. Uh, As an offense, you want to do what, what makes defenses have to prepare and defend every aspect and every player and every player's strength. We want what we want to do is highlight that and put him in a position to be successful. So, Will, you kind of went back. You know, we all, it, it kind of, everybody goes back to that South Carolina game. That's, that's the starting point. And playing with a chip on the shoulder. Now, the stat line won't necessarily jump out of you for that game as far as running the ball goes. 16 attempts for only 36 yards, 2.3 yard average, two touchdowns. He was sacked twice, and that affects the stats somewhat. But go in that game, and it was the situational running. For Felipe Franks, the aggressive running that really stood out to me and made a difference. And in, in, in looking at third and fourth down runs in that game, it may have been the difference in the game with converting those. In, in six of those situations, five were converted. So Franks running in those situations versus South Carolina, it was a third and four, 10-yard gain for a touchdown. Third and four, five-yard gain, first down. Third and two, six-yard gain, first down. Third and three, five-yard gain, first down. Third and goal, no gain, but for the very next play, fourth and goal, and it was a it was a touchdown uh, right there. So five of those six carries resulted in a first down or a touchdown, and that's huge in this offense, staying on the field, keeping opposing defenses off balance, using using a numbers advantage, and seemed to really help Franks keep an edge to him. A couple mo- a couple of those were third and. You know, third and fourth situations, passing situations most of the time. And it's Frank's running that converts those downs and keeps the defense coordinators guessing.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, this is the whole concept behind the yards above replacement stat that I like using, that I've come up with to sort of describe a quarterback's efficacy, particularly in college football, where a lot of times a quarterback will run and you don't necessarily capture that value in QB rating or just, you know, in looking at yards per attempt or anything like that. The idea being that if the average quarterback takes a sack and loses five yards, and a running quarterback can convert that sack into a one-yard gain, well, that has real value, right? And and so Frank's ability to keep the chains moving, to, to get two or three yards on first down rather than it being second and 12, second and 13, makes a real difference. And, you know, you look at in wins last year, they averaged 8.8 quarterback rush attempts per game. They averaged 7.3 in losses. And so, you know, it sounds like, oh, that's only a, a carry and a half a game, but – a, considering that most of those carries came in the last four games of the year, um, but you know they, they made a concerted effort to do that, and it was actually something you could see in the Missouri game. The only way they were able to move the ball in that Missouri game was by having Franks run the ball. I think they pulled it to like twenty-one to ten late in the second quarter on a run by Franks for a touchdown, or to or to get down there near the touchdown near the end zone. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's part of this offense. It's something the quarterback has to be willing to do. It seemed like something Franks was hesitant to do early in the year. I mean, he ran a little bit against Tennessee very early on, but beyond that, there wasn't a whole lot of there wasn't anything where it was like a jailbreak where, hey, there's four guys in the box. They're spreading it five wide. It's got to be the quarterback run because that's the right thing to do. And by the time he got to the Florida State game, even like third and seven, third and eight, third and nine, there were a couple of times where he didn't convert the first down and Mullen was forced to either take a field goal or punt. But I still think he'll take that, right? A seven-yard gain, keeping the defense honest early in the game is a valuable thing in that case as opposed to dropping back and throwing into a coverage that you don't want him throwing into because the defense is giving you that run so you know in the last few games when the defense was giving him that run he was taking it and against michigan he really took advantage
0: yeah in the games fall in south carolina versus idaho only two attempts understandable he didn't need to be getting hit in that game uh versus them but it was for a total of 21 yards there 10 uh 10 and a half yard average one touchdown uh now these last two games saw attempts increase drastically versus florida state he had 12 rushing attempts 46 yards 3.8 yard average uh, versus Michigan, fourteen attempts, seventy-four yards, five point three yard average, uh, one touchdown on a twenty-yard uh, run. There, I think was the first touchdown of the game. So for for Florida, so you know the last four games saw french run forty-four times for one hundred and seventy-seven yards, five and a half yard per carry average, and four touchdowns. So in those last four games, he ran for forty percent of his carries for the year, and four of the seven rushing touchdowns he had on the year as well in those last four games. Will.
1: Yeah, I mean it certainly made a difference and not just moving the moving the chains but keeping the defense honest. The question I think we have to ask ourselves heading into 2019 is do we want him taking that kind of punishment? Uh-huh. I mean, you know, do, do you really want him getting smacked in the back, you know, on his 15th carry against South Carolina when you're up by a touchdown trying to hold on to the ball? You know, I mean, it, you do what you need to do to win, but at the end of the day, keeping him healthy is going to be paramount. And so guys like Kadarius Tony and Emory Jones may play a larger role in the running game this year, particularly Emory Jones, considering that they don't have to worry about the red shirt this year or any of those sorts of things. I, I don't know that you want your starting quarterback getting drilled in the back over and over and over again when he's proven that he's capable of winning you games. And last year, Franks was still in the process of proving that he could win you games. At this point, he's proven he can win you games. And I think they're going to have to, I I would suspect that they're going to start outsourcing some of these rushes to other guys. I mean, you can motion Tony in from the slot and let him take a direct snap. And you've basically got the same defensive alignment. Um, You can do a lot of different things to get the the defense to do what you want to do in those cases. But again, then that opens up, you got to. Emory Jones or or Tony have to be able to throw the ball out of those formations as well to make that a viable threat, too. So, you know, I, I think a lot of the, the running is necessary to make the offense go. Mullins never really shied away from having his quarterbacks. I mean, Nick Fitzgerald was out there running all the time um, and even Dak Prescott ran quite a bit, though. When you look at Dak, like year one, he ran a ton. Year two, he ran a little bit less. And year three, he was barely running at all by the time he got there or by the time he got to that third year. And so I do wonder whether they're going to pull back on some of the running for Franks. And that's going to impact impact the offense somewhat.
0: And that's exactly where I was going next. Well, it's like you knew that. And you actually didn't know. I didn't send you the notes or anything. (laughs) So there we go. Uh, Yeah, so a little comparison here. And it it is hard to do it for the entire season. As Franks ran much more uh, and with more success in in three of those last four games to add to his season total of 110 carries for 350 yards, 3.2-yard average, seven touchdowns. But those last four games, remember, 44 times, 177 yards, five-and-a-half yards per carry, four touchdowns, so that 5.5 yard per carry in those games was higher than Dax Prescott's 2014 season, where he averaged 4.7 yards a carry, and his 2015 season, where he averaged 3.7. Go back to Tebow, very similar average in 2007, he had 4.7 yards per carry, and in 2008, Mullen's final season, Tebow had 3.8 yards per carry, so very similar between Tebow and Dak, but I mean, yeah, you're looking at 4.7 yards per carry and 3.8 for both of those guys. And Frank's in those last four games, five and a half yards per carry. So now as we going back to that point, I don't expect Frank's to go and average five and a half yards per carry for, for this coming up season, but will just shows the ability is there. I mean, the, the ability is there, but how, as you said, how much do you want him getting hit? I mean, you had Prescott and Tebow carrying the ball 210 times both. It's, it, it is, And I know we detailed this about this time uh, ago last year in, in Prescott and Tebow and how eerily similar their stats are. They both carried the ball 210 times. Uh, and then the following season, uh, that got whittled down to 160 for Prescott and 176 for Tebow. Uh, and I'm not sure I see Franks getting that many carries, especially, as you mentioned, with Emery and Tony getting reps back there, too. Uh, but when you add this threat of running from Felipe Franks, compared to the skill set you get from other SEC quarterbacks, you can really make a case for everything that you threw together uh, with Franks and his improvement in those last four games with, with accuracy and getting the ball down the field, and his, and his running stats as well uh, compared to what Tebow and and Prescott were able to do. You can really make a case for Felipe Franks to be slotted in that third place spot in the SEC.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there's clearly a top two yep. with 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 Tua and with uh, and with Fromm. And then it's sort of, okay, who's next? And when you look at some of the guys who are next, you know, you got Joe Burrow completed 59% of his passes. And obviously I like Burrow a lot.
0: Who, 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 who is that, Will?
1: <laughs> you know, but I mean, he ran for 450 yeah. yards on 143 carries, had a QB rating of 135.1 um, for his career. If you look at Frank's, his career QB rating is 130.9. You look at Kelly Bryant. Um, You know, his QB rating is 132.8. You look at Kellen Mond, his QB rating is 125.7. You know, so yes, the running really makes a difference because the QB ratings are pretty much the same for career for those guys. Now, obviously, Franks is coming from a further place back. I mean, Franks had a really, really tough 2017, whereas some of these guys either weren't playing or had much better 2017s, um, you know. and, And so we saw... So the the real question in my mind is you know like Jake Bentley at South Carolina had a couple of years in a row where he's sort of the same player and then last year was significantly improved well Franks in 2017 struggled last year was significantly improved it, our, Is it a reasonable expectation to expect that kind of improvement two years in a row? You know, I just don't know. I mean, you know, you think about low hanging fruit and teaching, teaching basically the basics of how to play the position. At that point, the improvement is going to be vast. I mean, how much was he able to get? last year and how much can he apply to this year, I think is sorta of, sort of the question. So is he gonna play more like Fromm or is he gonna play more like more like Mond? I think you know, I your guess is as good as mine. I think the last four games and the underlying stats seem to indicate that he'll be more like Fromm and less like Mond. But I also think that they're probably going to run him a lot less in games against Towson and and that sort of stuff. Or when they get ahead, they're probably going to run him a lot less, just because the schedule's harder yeah. this year. You know, you got Miami, you got Auburn, um, you got Florida State on the back end, and obviously they had a they had a rough year last year, but it's still a rivalry. You know, it, it's not. It's not Colorado State and Charleston Southern and Idaho this year. There are there are some real non-conference guys in the schedule, and so they're going to have to uh, they're going to have to choose judiciously when they run him. And I th- so I think what you'll probably see is that his passing stats will improve. A fair amount, right? I don't think I don't think he's gonna be I don't think he's gonna be Tua. Um, he probably isn't even from. But I think he'll sort of improve to sort of a middle of the pack passer. And then where he sits in that um, in that hierarchy in the SEC will be tied to his legs and how he's able to move the offense that way.
0: Yeah, and I, and I go back to that South Carolina game a lot. And, and as I said, it, it wasn't the overall stats. It was the situational running. So how, how how often does Florida get in third and one to three? And, you know, it, it's, it's Frank's the guy there who gets his number called. And I, I think going back to that South Carolina game, you know, we saw it a lot. And, you know, the, the situational running against FSU and, and Michigan wasn't nearly as successful as it was. Uh, it, there were some big runs and and, and bigger runs, but not necessarily – Uh, the same success in third and short fourth and short situations there uh when i went and looked and look i expect players like mon and burrow to progress as well look we're, we're expecting felipe franks to take a jump as well but who's to say those quarterbacks won as well mon in his second year under jimbo fisher uh, burrow in his second year uh, at lsu uh, i expect those guys to 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 progress much like i expect felipe franks to progress as well bryant's a real wild card here he was good at clemson surrounded by a ton of talent he wasn't great at Clemson uh, in, he won't have all that talent surrounding him at Missouri, uh, but he still helped lead Clemson to a college football playoff spot in 2017. And and he does get credit for that. Uh, He has Derek Dooley in charge of him now and, Dooley did much better than I thought with uh, Drew Locke last season. Uh, but that could have been more locked than Dooley. I think we'll really see that this year. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's a great coach, but you know, Mon does lose some weapons around him. Uh, Burroughs still has offensive coordinators to Vinsminger at LSU, who I'm not really so crazy about, but they did hire a new passing game coordinator, Joe Brady, from the Saints, uh, to bolster their passing attack. So, you know, when you want to discuss who's the SEC's third best quarterback, you can comfortably pick between these these guys here and not really be wrong, Will.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the inconsistency is the, and we talked about this coming out of the year or coming out of the, coming out of last season is that, that Frank's had good moments and bad moments. And what you're really probably looking for in 2019 is just consistency, right? That the sine wave be less of a, <laughs> have a much lower amplitude that the, that the highs maybe aren't quite as high, but the lows aren't, aren't nearly as low. And, and if he can sort of even it out a little bit, then you're going to, you know, but sort of overall raises performance, then you're going to be very happy with that. I would say that there's this perception that Kelly Bryant was excellent at, at, uh, At Clemson, and I don't see it when I go back and I look at his stats. I mean, his yards above replacement was 0.05, so just slightly above average. His QB rating was 132.8, again, sort of average. And that's not to say that he's significantly worse than Franks or Burrow or any of those guys. It's just to say that, you know, the the idea that he's going to come into a program with significantly less talent around him and excel, I think is probably not necessarily true. I mean, yes, he had a completion percentage of sixty six percent. Everybody knows that I love that, but he also only averaged seven point one yards per attempt while he was at Clemson. That's just not enough. And so uh, I don't know that you know, you look at what the potential of somebody is, and I think that's maybe where where people get excited about Franks. I mean, there's no doubt he has the arm to make every throw. The question is, can he get the ball there on time, and can he get there accurately enough to to move the team down the field and at a high enough clip to be able to be a prolific offense. But his ability to make the throw isn't, isn't what's in doubt. It's, it's, does he get in the right position in the right play and the right, you know, read the right defense and get it to the right position, get it to the right receiver. Now you got the receivers on the team this year that that shouldn't be a problem in terms of them getting open and them getting separation. And so it's really on him. And if you look at, again, if you look at those last four games, he started to complete the ball down the field at a much higher clip. And I think that's maybe why I at least would have a lot more, uh, you know a lot more confidence that that him versus somebody like mond or or um, you know Shay Patterson at Michigan or somebody like that would take a step forward, but you know again there are also reasons to say he's still going to struggle. I mean his his completion percentage in high school is right around that 57%. That's probably where he's going to end up. Um, the the real question is does does the distribution change, right? So does he take less shots? You know I, I'm okay with completing 57% of your passes if they're 15 yards downfield.
0: Yeah, give <laughs> give me problem. that give me that in the in the running stats we had the last four games and he'll that that'd be pretty good.
1: Well, I mean. And that would be a real step forward, and I think that's something that I'm certainly going to monitor throughout the year, and I think Gator fans should as well, that the completion percentage has to be tied to the types of throws that he's making. And you can really see that when you look at the stats that I had in my article today, where you know he's completing 85% of his passes that are those little bubble screens, and you would expect that but when the bubble screens are 35% of the plays that you're running okay well that <laughs> you know un- until that changes so in fact last year so 24% of the passes were less than a yard 35% were 1 to 9 and then 22% were 10 to 19 and 18 were were 20 plus so he's going downfield less than half the time really is what it boils down to 41%. So 59% of his throws were within nine yards of the line of scrimmage. Now, sometimes that's a good thing, because that's what you need to do, especially if the defense is laying back, but in the losses, they really didn't have an answer when the defense took those shorter throws away. And so that's going to be the question for me in 2019 is if the defense tries to take those throws away, what are you going to do? And and it looked like in those last four games, Frank's had an answer. and And we'll certainly get to see that this year.
0: Yep. So, well, like I said, we'll get into preseason magazine talk here, but just for the sake of this episode here, uh, Athlon, who I, you know, I respect those guys a good bit, uh, Tua number one for them, Jake Fromm at number two. Uh, they they did have Kelamon uh, as the third best quarterback in the SEC, as I mentioned earlier. Felipe Franks is fourth, and uh, where they put him. Uh, they have Kelly Bryant, fifth, uh, kind of the summary there. You know, Drew Locke is gone. Uh, a little concerned at quarterback for Missouri. Uh, and they you, Bryant faced a lot of pressure to fill the void, left behind Deshaun Watson in his first year as a Tiger starter in 2017. Uh, guided Clemson to ACC title, tripped to the college football playoff that season. Threw for 2,800 yards, 13 touchdowns, and rushed for 665 yards and 11 touchdowns. Uh, of course, we all remember 2018, off to an okay start, solid start, went to Texas A&M, uh, helped w- win that game for, for Clemson there. But you couldn't hold Trevor Lawrence on the sideline, couldn't keep him on the sideline. Right move made by Dabo Sweeney, of course, as they go on the win national championship. But, but your know, Bryant comes to Missouri – Really good offensive line there. They got some. They got some weapons at, at the skill player position. So they do have Kelly Bryant at number five. Does Athlon there, and Joe Burrow uh, is their sixth best quarterback in the SEC. I probably would flip to. I probably have Burrow ahead of Kelly Bryant uh, there. The Burrow, much like Frank's, got better as the season went on uh, last year. That crazy overtime game with Texas a and last year. Uh, you had six scores in that game. Uh, Three hundred ninety-four. Uh, uh, and then 394 yards, four touchdowns against uh, UCF in, in the Fiesta Bowl, where he just got walloped early in that game uh, after he threw an interception uh, there. So, you know, Burrow, uh, as I said, him and Frank's very, very similar. Uh, I think, you know, what can each one of those guys do with their legs, I think, that be a, uh, kind of a, a separator for those two. Uh, keep going. Jake Bentley, at the seventh-best quarterback in the SEC, uh, according to Athlon Jarrett Guarantano at eight. Keaton Thompson at Mississippi State. Uh, you know, we know a little bit about him because of you know Mullen having to play him late in the season uh, when Fitzgerald went down against Ole Miss that, that year. He got to play in the bowl game as well. Uh, played a, a good bit last year as well. Uh, I'd probably have Keaton Thompson above Guarantano splitting hairs there. He probably would be around my eighth uh, best quarterback uh, there. But And then we know very well, Will, uh, Matt Corral at 10. Uh, there for, for Ole Miss, uh, you know, this would be his first year uh, there. Rich Rodriguez will be his offensive coordinator there in Oxford. So uh, that's something – that's a that's a unique SEC storyline I'll be looking at coming up this year is Matt Corral at Ole Miss with Rich Rod uh, being the offensive coordinator. I think that's one to really keep an eye on uh, there, what we know about Corral and, and his time uh, there. His uh, Corral last year in limited time, 16-22 for 239 yards, two touchdowns also rushed for 83 yards and two touchdowns last year uh, as well. But I do think that's in, in intriguing with Rich Rod there uh, at Ole Miss. We don't know what Auburn will do uh, there with, with the, at their quarterback situation. Definitely some interest there since Florida plays them this year. Is it Joey Gatewood from Jacksonville? Is it Bo Nix? I think that's a kind of uh, one quarterback battle to, to look out for as fall rolls around. Athlon actually has Joey Gatewood at 11 uh, in their SEC rankings here. So – uh, don't really know if it works out that way. Uh, they seem to think so since they're listing Joey Gatewood at 11 uh, there. And to kind of finish it up here, Terry Wilson, who probably had the best game of his career against Florida <laughs> last year, uh, they have him as the 12th best quarterback uh, in the SEC. But I believe Kentucky just got a transfer last week um, from Troy. I think some people might pick him as the starter over Terry Wilson. If Terry Wilson doesn't improve uh, from kind of the, the struggles he had late last season. Uh, and Ben Hicks is 13 for Arkansas, and then Riley Neal for Vanderbilt at 14. So, Will, it, uh, it kind of does. Once you get past the group that we mentioned, starting with Jake Bentley, who I would probably have comfortably at seven uh, as well, but Guarantano, Keaton Thompson, Matt Corral, yeah, you probably could jumble those guys up and the, the way you throw it out there would just be fine the way it lands.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think people are sleeping a little bit on Bentley. Now, part of that is, is that they are playing an awful schedule this year. <laughs> and so he may not look as impressive as some of the other quarterbacks from a statistical standpoint, just because he's playing Clemson and, and some other. And, I mean, and, and, Alabama, and, loses, and
0: loses Debo Samuel.
1: Yeah, he loses Debo Samuel as well, but you know he improved. So he had a QB rating of 140 his freshman year, then took a step back at 131, and then was at 146 last year and averaged 8.2 yards per attempt. That's not that's not elite, but that's that's bordering into really, really good quarterback play. And he, and he completed 62% of his passes as well. And has completed 63% for his career. So, you know, I I think, I think Bentley's probably better than most people think. I think the guy you, you should probably look out for potentially losing his job is Mond. I, I, I have really, I have not been impressed with bond. He's only completed 55% of his passes averaging seven yards per throw. Now he's, and he's only run for 3.4 yards per yards per attempt. So it's not as if he's running all over the place.
0: I don't know if they have anybody to replace him with though.
1: Maybe they don't, but Jimbo is not exactly the most patient person when it comes to quarterbacks
0: and their schedule is brutal as well.
1: Yeah, and you know they're not real patient with the guy they're paying like what nine million dollars a year or whatever they're paying Jimbo down there. (laughs) Um, I mean, you know, maybe Mond has, maybe Mond plays really, really well, and maybe he the last line of
0: that year. But yeah, the last line of Athlon right here says should earn a spot on all SEC team by the end of 2019.
1: Well, me me and them are (laughs) are at odds then because again, you look at the underlying stats and say, where's that coming from? (laughs) like i just look at it and say he you know you you look at him and you say that he's a really dynamic runner and he's shown that at times but you look at the overall stats he's not averaging any more yards per rush than franks is yeah so if you were to ask me which one's a better player mond or franks i mean they're basically equivalent for their careers i mean when you look at what they've done over their careers the yards above replacement for for mond is negative 0.22 for franks it's negative 0.46 but if you say that 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 last year is the one you want to compare. Well, Franks, was, I think, was a better player. So, um, yeah, the, I, I,
0: Ma- I ran through for about 700 more yards and the same amount of touchdowns.
1: Yeah, but I mean, a lot of that has to do with the system, too. I mean,
0: oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I wasn't saying like I would expect if you're going to throw for that many more yards, you should have a little more touchdowns as well.
1: Well, but again, his his QB rating was 135 last yeah. year. Um he ran for 474 yards for so 3.2 yards per rush. So we're not talking about you know, Khalil Tate from 2 years yeah. ago who was averaging like 12 yards a rush <laughs> or whatever. I mean, the the reality is is that Mond is a is a is a decent quarterback. I don't look at him and go, "Oh, he's going to separate himself into the from and and oh, yeah. and to a like, I don't even think he's going to, like, I, if you asked me to bet on Bentley, Franks or Mond or Burrow, I got Mond at the bottom. And then uh I, I have Burrow probably higher than most people do. Cause I think he probably will take a little bit of a jump this year after having one full year under his belt. Um I will, then,
0: I will say for South Carolina and Bentley, he has no run game help whatsoever.
1: Oh, I, so again, I think when you look at Bentley um, I, I don't know that you're going to be able to gauge him on... <laughs> I don't know that you're going to be able to gauge him on wins and losses, and you probably won't be able to gauge him on... Like, you're going to have to look at it and say, when he was getting destroyed because the, because the defensive ends were bending their ears back, how did he hold up against the rush and those sorts of things. But in terms of um, in terms of ability and, and track record, I think Bentley, um, having him seventh is basically just saying, eh, we think he's going to be average again. And I don't think last year's stats belie that. Now, the interesting thing is if you take the last three games for Franks, he does start to end up in that from and and not Tua. Tua's way above everybody. Yeah. But, but Franks' QB rating for the last three games against FBS teams was 157, and his yards above replacement was 0. 0.86, and that's really getting up there towards Jake Fromm. So again, if you ask me who's the guy who's most likely to take that jump, I think Franks is one of them, and I think Burrow is probably the other. And then i'd have kelly bryant down lower as well i'm not real high on Bryant. i'm not real high on mond um mainly just because their underlying stats are fairly similar to the guys who are in that sort of bracket but they've had more time and and they've had either better teammates around them or have had pretty good coaching as well and just haven't been able to haven't been i mean nobody like kevin sumlin got fired but nobody really ever looked at that and said oh he's not a very good offensive coach i mean you know when McElwain and nussmeyer got fired everybody pretty much realized that it was a dumpster fire and that, and that the quarterbacks needed to be retrained. So um, I would suspect that Frank's last year is more indicative of his true talent level. And, And the question is just how much is he going to be able to build on that?
0: Yeah, I think I say, in talking with this, I'd I, I feel very comfortable putting Frank's three uh, along with, I think, Burrow at four uh, as well. I do think Frank's and Burrow, to me, are, are are in the three and four slots. However you want to slot them there, I'd be fine if you flip-flopped them, uh, however you're looking at them uh, there uh, as well. Yeah, I, I'd probably – Kelly Bryant in that probably fifth range. I know you're higher on Bentley there. Uh, I think those two are pretty much uh, interchangeable there. I do think there's a clear tier uh, right there behind the top two going to those three, four guys uh, there. But I do think you can safely say that Felipe Franks is and should be going into the uh, 2019 season one of the SEC's best quarterbacks.
1: Yeah. Well, the nice part is, is other than Mond, we're going to get to see it, right? I mean, yeah. is going to get to go into Baton Rouge and, and, and fight Burrow and he's going to get to play Bryant when, uh, when they go to Missouri as well. So he's going to have, he's going to get to take on those guys on the road. So if yeah. Florida comes out of those games and he outplays those guys on the road. I think then we can definitively say, um, you know, that's where he stands. And and so he's going to get an opportunity to prove it. And that's all you can ask as a quarterback. So um, I guess that is
0: one good thing. I didn't even really think about it. Will is you know the FSU game and the uh, Michigan game. Yeah, it was a bowl game, neutral site game there. But you know, two of his better performances come uh, come away from the swamp there at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, well, that's actually been sort of a, a trend for him as well. If you go look at his splits, I don't have him in front of me. But if you go look at his splits, he's actually been either slightly better or about equivalent on the road as he is at home. And some of that is is that the Gator fans have been pretty rough on him too. So <laughs>
0: I'm not sure. So that- maybe, maybe, maybe that South Carolina game is uh, uh, even more important than we thought it was because that, that was uh, the decision you know, of the crowd maybe, it was, maybe it was the switch.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, you know, and, and and we talked about this at the time. Oh, and yeah. oh, we've yeah. talked about this all off season, which is that, you know, when you've got an attitude and you're winning, everybody loves it when you have an attitude and you're losing, nobody likes it. So, um, you know, if he'd have shushed everybody and Florida still lost that game, um, it would have been an issue. But the fact Ooh, that he yeah. shushed everybody and Florida was able to come back and win, you know, everybody says, hey, that's the turning point. So I, I usually I don't like that narr- those narratives. And I actually think it's a little bit inaccurate here. I think Florida got – I think when you go back and look at the tape, Florida got pretty lucky to come back and win that game against South, against South Carolina. And South Carolina had a pretty, pretty decimated defensive back core as well that Florida probably should have taken – more advantage of than they did but i do think they made some tactical changes against idaho and you could see it on tape when you looked at the idaho game and then when you went to the florida state game and the michigan game you could see them executing some of those things that they sort of found that frank seems to do well and seems to be able to throw more accurately and so um you know, when you, I think it's actually, I think those last three games are sort of a combination of both coaching and Frank's, right? That, that, yeah, he started to show more command, started to show more confidence, but I also think the staff put him in a situation where he was more apt to succeed by giving him things that he was, that he was, um, giving him throws that he was more comfortable making and why they didn't do that earlier in the year. I'm not entirely sure, but, uh, they certainly found some stuff the last couple of games and those things I think will carry over into, into 2019, but, you know the defenses have had all year to look at the look at the film as well, and so they're going to start taking those things away. And the question will be, how can he respond?
0: Yeah, because I mean, we go back to that same game and Jake Bentley, who started off hot, against <laughs> Florida in that game as well. He's eighteen to eighteen to twenty-eight in that game, two hundred and thirty-nine yards with two touchdowns and the interception. And uh, you know, he really, uh he was really putting it on Florida and not Florida defense in that game too. So we got to see firsthand uh, maybe why Jake Bentley could also be thrown into that mix as well.
1: Yeah, well, and the one thing we haven't talked about is the offensive line. Yep. And, you know, obviously all of these discussions come with the caveat that these guys get enough protection to be able to to be able to deliver the ball on time and on target. And, you know, the prevailing thought the thing that goes in my mind with Frank's under pressure is the awful throw he made in the end zone against LSU that really sort of kept that, kept that game close. I mean, Florida had an opportunity to really sort of break that open there to open up the second half right after a deep throw that he hit. That was a gorgeous throw. And then all of a sudden he's getting hit in the belly and and the balls drifting on him a little bit. and He throws an interception. And so, you know, keeping him protected. I mean last year Franks was sacked less than I think just about any quarterback in the SEC. Um certainly when you when you watched the offensive line and their growth throughout the year, he was not harassed anywhere near as much as he was in twenty seventeen. And so hevesy's gonna have a Hevesy and the offensive line are gonna have a lot to say about this. You can't go downfield if your offensive line can't hold up. And so you know, it's going to be bubble screens. It's going to be little pitches and little slants if you can't protect. And even in that case, um, you know, the defense starts to creep up and creep up and creep up and eventually things get really constricted. So, um, yeah so we'll see. I mean I, again, I think Franks has the ability to take a step forward, but one of the reasons that this is interesting is that it's a team game and and the offensive line's going to have to protect him in order to give him the ability to do that because while he is a willing runner, he is not a dynamic runner and so he's not somebody who's going to get out of get out of the pocket and make all sorts of things happen, which is actually something else that you saw on tape is that he very rarely threw when he was on the run. When he went on the when he went on the run even when he had a guy open um you know, he, he either throws it away or he runs with the ball. He's not necessarily looking to hit a guy downfield, but that's something that he's going to be able to work on during the offseason. And so we'll see whether that improves as we go along, too.
0: Wow. A lot of research there, Will. Man, it
1: was fun. It was, it actually <laughs> was a lot of fun to go back and watch, uh, watch all the film. I, I should, I should shout out to Libgator Gator on YouTube, who's got all the offensive plays spliced yeah. together. So in about, in about 11 minutes you can watch every offensive play in, in each game. So it was only really about like an hour and a half or two hours going back and watching all the, watching all of the passes as opposed to having to watch every game, uh, every game in the two hours of each one. So, um, but you know it, it was really fun to see the development you like when you watch the entire year like that you could see sort yeah, of the formations and the complexity of the offense grow throughout the year you could see some of the things that Mullen was able to implement i mean he really it, it was base formations against Kentucky and there was nothing that they did that was really all that exotic out of it and then all of a sudden you saw wide receivers blocking in the game against South Carolina and reverses to Tony and and all sorts of crazy stuff as the season went on that the reverse pass from Kroll, um, all those sorts of things. So, it, 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 I actually would recommend it to people who are big fans if they want to go back. Just watch the offense from from Charleston Southern all the way until you get to until you get to Michigan. It's a fun ride.
0: All right, now I'm in full vacation mode. <laughs> <Well, laughs> enjoy it, buddy.
1: I'm sure yeah. there will be something that breaks while you're on the plane.
0: It doesn't. It, it won't matter this time. <laughs> so it's ten thirty Monday night. Now or we're getting up at two o'clock. So. Well, I'll be getting up in four hours.
1: Well now we know where the fans stand when it comes to your hierarchy. So.
0: <laughs> for one week for one week a year, yes.
1: You're not allowed to have a week, Dave. It's not it's yeah. not <laughs> No, enjoy it. Have a have a good time. Uh, certainly uh certainly. Ten, year,
0: ten year wedding anniversary for me. Oh wow, congrats. Yeah, ten yeah.
1: yeah. So we're working on fifteen. So there
0: we go. There we go. So
1: Let's you still it. got time for some more kids there, Dave.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, she's uh kids up in North Carolina with her aunt. So we've had a, we've had a couple of days before we even leave for vacation, uh, to, to kind of let it just be us. So, uh, we'll a few more days than uh, coming up in St. Lucia. So it should, should be a good time.
1: Hey man. Sounds good. You got, make sure you wear those shoes down there. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> might, might get sand in them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, enjoy yourself. It's, it's a, it's a good time to go. And, uh, and hopefully nothing too big happens, but I'm sure something will, because there's never a dull moment, right, buddy?
0: That's right. That's right. So that's Will Miles. Like I said, uh, you can go to his site, readreaction.com, and get all this in text form there, and kind of look at all the. Will was even incorporated some gifts there to kind of help explain uh, what he saw from Felipe Franks and the charts of uh, completion percentage and, uh, like I said, distance of uh, distance of throws and completions and all that good stuff. So good job on good job by Will, And Well, like I said, uh, it it was a lot of work, but uh, well worth. it. Because that was a that was a really good read and look.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks. Really appreciate it. So we'll probably probably back to recruiting this week, so uh, so people can look forward to that and and uh, try to put a more holistic and look at a large um, you know sort of large scale view of where Florida is relative to where they were last year and relative to where they are to the uh, the main rivals. So,
0: all right. That's Will. Like I said, you can Will Miles find us at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at Will Miles SCC. I'm David Waters, host of Gator's Breakdown. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys, we go that there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gator's Breakdown.